0: This is Monster Stories Podcast, Living with Evil, and I'm your host, Suzanne Cole. In this podcast, we explore the experience of being with a sadist, a deceiver, a psychopath, a person or a monster who lacks conscience. The monster is void of characteristics which are Intrinsic to human, to humane behavior. His pleasure, whether you know it or not, is derived from watching others suffer. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have some sense of that suffering. Or you see it in another very clearly. If you've been kind enough to tune in to my podcast in the previous episodes, you know that I'm uh, presenting a series of personal narratives uh, in a thematic way with the intention of speaking candidly with you who may be isolated within a relationship with a monster. Perhaps you've not been able to define him yet as Anything but a monster or a, a rager, high decibel, blowtorch rages, threatening rages. Perhaps you've not been able to say the word psychopath yet. But you know something is terribly wrong with your relationship in you know, others, something terribly forbidding about it. I am also speaking with you who may know someone who has gone through the ordeals I offer. I am speaking with you who may be ignorant of what transpires between a psychopath, a charming neighbor, and his prey behind closed doors. I am speaking with you who may be a neighbor A colleague, a lawyer, a therapist, an old friend of a person held in captivity with her charming mate, who is in fact a monster, a psychopath. Since there is a proliferation of these people in our society, in fact globally these days, you're bound to somehow be connected with someone, if it's not yourself, who's involved with a the monster. There's that old line from when I was very young that somehow got etched into my mind. Uh, Captain Braddock from Racket Squad said something to the effect of there are people who smile. And can pat you on the back with one hand. And pick your pocket with another. And it could happen to you. And that's true. This episode is called After the Interview. The beginning of triangulation and isolation. I spoke of the interview process that the monster goes through with his prey. In the last episode. This is a continuation. I think if you're involved with the monster, you may somehow recognize some of the things I'm saying, because mostly I'm speaking with you, because it's such a difficult situation to articulate, even to yourself, the insidiousness of a psychopath's um, imaginations. So I don't expect you to be necessarily conscious of this, but you may be and may have not conversed with anyone about it before, how he begins to garner support and allies through deceptive measures very soon after you've met him, how he focuses in on his prey. If you have been targeted as his prey, you are no doubt a very kind person. You're very empathic, very compassionate. And you've probably experienced invalidation by others in your life. You've been devalued by careless, hurtful people. You're highly sensitive and you genuinely uh, genuinely care about others to the point of selflessness at times. I know you. I know your large heart. I know how you trust. I know how easily you devalue yourself and your own perceptions. I know how deeply you love. You may have been a colleague in my practice. You may be one of us who hired Dr. Mario, one of my colleagues who he appeared to have great interest in. He was fascinated by your work. He seemed to truly take a pleasure in your in you. After the interview with Dr. Mario, who we hired for our practice, he maintained a hospital office, a hospital he was associated with, which is why we hired him, so we would have that possible access to hospitalization, for our patients. He referred patients to each of us in our group practice. We each, as I said, practiced a different specialty. These referrals were a delight for each of us. But they also created a a sinister alliance that we were unaware of, of course, because they were the root of his great manipulative tool, dependency. Dr. Mario created dependencies in order to begin to control his allies, his loyal fans, his targeted prey. There's a whole subtle courting process that goes on with a monster that you know, that you've experienced, He assesses people he meets to see how they will fit into his webbing of deceit. Dr. Mario um, made lunch dates with each of us in our practice. He implanted trigger words, as I spoke of, or subliminal suggestions to each of us. His lunches helped him assess Uh, the roles that each of us would play in his life, and to establish trust and obedience. He could be likened to a queen bee in a hive, ensuring the obedient roles of the workers surrounding him. But unlike the queen bee, the monster feeds on dissension between his followers. He creates triangulations, or gaslighting, the same concept of this desire for schisms and distances between people and a desire for dependency upon him. His followers remain loyal to him, but not each other. Triangulation or gaslighting causes this dissension. Dr. Mario found subtle ways to cause each of us to have reservations about each other. You might know this phenomenon very well. Gaslighting is the colloquial name, but triangulation is one of the most destructively evil weapons that can be used against a person. If you are or have been with the monster, you know the agony of triangulation. The chaos of being treated with an unexplained cool or a cutting off of ties completely and often with the vehemence and usually without explanation. You're separated from former allies once you become indoctrinated into the monsters, the psychopaths' lair. This alienation causes a further dependency on the psychopath, on this charming, wonderful man you've met. His former alliances threaten him. uh, Your former alliances threaten him. He aims for there to be no external voice from which you may gain a reality check, as it were. Do you know this heartache? this heartache of separation from those you may have loved, from old friends, from neighbors who begin to look at you strangely, from colleagues who do this. It's very difficult to put this phenomenon in words. If you're in the midst of it right now, it's almost impossible to articulate it. There's just this feeling of being ousted somehow by those around you. But I want to reinforce that it's not you, not you at all, even though it feels that way. It feels very vulnerable. It's the monster you're with who has created these terrible schisms. And this will be something that occurs every single place. You live, perhaps every place you work. It may even occur with your co-workers or your students. The psychopath is very practiced. And I know you may not be able to call him a psychopath at this point. You may just call him disturbed or a narcissist or a crazed raging maniac but you and the people who have been separated from you are his victims. And these schisms may never be repaired. This is a theme I'll speak of throughout all my narratives because it's uh, such a devastation. You know what I mean. You know what that feeling of having a scarlet letter on you is for some strange, ineffable reason. You know what that feels like. Let me give you an example of the beginning of gaslighting in my experience after my initial meeting with Dr. Mario. During our very first meeting, or let's say right afterward, the colleague I shared my office with seemed to uh, misplace his very uh, special statue, very meaningful statue he had on his windowsill. I felt terrible. I suspected all of my patients. I couldn't figure out who would have taken that. I loved my patients. My colleagues suspected me. This rift became very uncomfortable. We never resolved it. It wasn't until years later that I found that statue among Mario's possessions. The monster had taken that statue, a game, a delight, the beginning of creating pain and and a chasm between myself and a former alliance. It also wasn't until years later that I realized the extent of his particular form of kleptomania, another evil feature of the psychopath, that crossing of boundaries. I'll speak more of this later, but stealing, not just people, not just you and your attention and your loyalty, but stealing things from stores, from people, just for the delight of causing pain and arousal in the monster, is typical. He steals not out of compulsion, but because he can get away with it. Dr. Mario stole to hurt others, to wreak havoc, to triangulate that destructive force, that destructive intention. You understand what I'm saying. Again, you may not have put it in words. You may be only partially conscious of it. But if you reflect on your relationship, you may notice that there is this transgression of boundaries everywhere, in every possible way. And the more practiced a monster you're with, uh, the more prevalent the stealing and kleptomania is. The little gifts you initially received from your monster, were they stolen merchandise? Can you list, can you quantify the amount of soul that was taken from you? What about your identity? How was that usurped? Or more tangible things, like your social security number? What of your friends, and your children? Was he courting your children? Preparing them to betray you? In essence, stealing them away? What has been psychologically robbed from you? What dependencies established by the psychopath have unwittingly robbed you of a degree of autonomy. For what do you feel indebted to the monster? How does he make you feel beholden to him? These questions, again, I know, are very difficult to answer. Very difficult to even ponder. Who wants to believe that the person that they were so excited about, who seems so fascinated in them, would have the intention of stealing, would have the intention of of gaining joy from creating pain. But these are questions, queries, I present for you to ponder. It's taken me years to see the breadth of the complexed, nuanced web of the psychopath I was with, Dr. Mario. And I have a number of advanced degrees in psychology, which provided me with in-depth studies into this area of the mind, this area of personality disorder. I was a university professor teaching courses not unrelated to my own harsh imprisonment by the monster. I survived by creating a cognitive dissonance and these are all terms I'll talk more about in depth. We'll discuss so that they make sense. They're not just psychological terminology. But um, to, spe- to simplify this process, I was always uh, bifurcated. I always knew that I was imprisoned. Imprisoned by punishments. Imprisoned by triangulations which separated me from support systems, from allies. And yet also moving forward in my profession. And my role as a mother, as a loving mother to my daughter. But I lived with that secret fear. That horrible tumor of fear for many, many years. Fear of my captor. Fear that if I defected from his lair, I would be punished so severely that I wouldn't exist. I was petrified of him. And I was petrified of breaking the implicit captivity of silence. We who are captive cannot speak of our captivity to others. If we do, we look crazy. The monsters made it that way. And so few people understand what's going on for the prey of the monster. You know that so few people, lawyers and police, They don't understand, therapists don't understand, so we try to explain and we ourselves lack words to indicate what we're petrified of, what we're encased within. So I ask you not to blame yourself. Try not to blame yourself for the confusion and the mutism and the inability to escape feeling of impotence, to set yourself free. Try not to blame yourself for the confinement you may be in or were in. How could you have known you were being seduced into this situation? It felt so wonderful, so real, so satisfying, so fortunate. To be cared for by someone who seemed to know you so well. Yes, there may have been flags, his drama, his entanglements that became part of your life, but in the beginning they were small compared with your pleasure and sense of love and being loved. Also, the monster usually controls his impulses, his rages, his, um, his destructive, his overt destructive actions for much of the first year or so that you're together. So you're being drawn into the talented Mr. Ripley. It's a good example. Remember his incredibly charming... Uh, presentation. The people he charmed were certainly no fools, but the psychopath's capacity to deceive is still beyond what our society now can comprehend. So now is the time for insight, for gathering together your participant observer notes. We are anthropologists. We know better than anyone what this experience is. As I mentioned in the last episode, our notes, our reflections, chronicle of this painful journey is the urtext, the very Essence of a text that we must write, that we must share. It's our salvation. And we're writing this. We're saying this. We're doing this together. This has been your host, Suzanne Cole, on Monster Stories' podcast, Living with Evil. You can reach me at info at monsterstoriespodcast.com and there's a website in process www.monsterstoriespodcast.com where I'll be posting resources and notes it's, it's, on, it's an in process website now but you'll be able to listen to the podcast there as well the beautiful music that you hear on this podcast is composed and performed by friend and master cellist David Darling from his album Prayer for Compassion, the song Untold Stories. Thank you so much, David. Again, thank you for listening and talking with me and pondering these aspects, these difficult aspects of living and of identifying a suffering, a pathos, and considering articulating it. Thank you for your courage. Until next time.